Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anita Po Show, a Bitcoin-only podcast. I'm very proud to be able to present today my new guest. It's Alice Kalin. Alice is the founding managing partner at Stillmark, the Bitcoin venture capital firm. Alice has been in the Bitcoin space since 2013, and she is the independent director on Blockstream's board of directors. I will ask her what that means later on. Stillmark's portfolio includes companies such as Casa, Lightning Labs, Lastbit, or Sphinx. As always, you can watch this interview on YouTube or you grasp the opportunity to be among the early adopters and listen to it in a lightning-enabled podcast app like Breeze, the Sphinx Chat app or the Fountain app. And now a short word from my sponsors and then on to the interview. Enjoy! Are you ready for lightning-fast Bitcoin transactions? Paxful has you covered. The Lightning Network has arrived at Paxful, which means you can send and receive Bitcoin within a matter of seconds, all with much lower fees. With seamless integration onto the Paxful platform, making easy transactions has become even cheaper and faster. It's as simple as accessing the Lightning tab on your Paxful wallet. Head over to Paxful and try it out now at anita.link slash paxfulln. That's anita.link slash paxfulln. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. Anita is one of the preeminent Bitcoin educators. Her book represents an invaluable contribution to the Bitcoin knowledge. Nick Carter, partner, Castle Island Ventures. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. Living on crypto is easier than you think with Bitrefill. Choose from over 4,000 gift cards and mobile top-up options from around the world. I used Bitrefill to top up my phone when I was visiting Zimbabwe. It was easy, worked like a charm, and I even earned sats back. Pay with Bitcoin, Lightning, Ethereum, Dash, Tether over Tron, and many more options. No account is necessary. Join the thousands of users around the world who are living on crypto today using Bitrefill. Join now at bitrefill.com and start earning sats back with each purchase. That's bit. Refill.com. Hello, Elise. Welcome to the Anita Po Show. I'm glad that you're here. It's wonderful to be here. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you again, too. I'm honored to have you because I think it's very interesting what you're doing, all the things surrounding your portfolio with Stillmark. And at the beginning, I would like uh, to ask you to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, please. Sure. So my name is Elise Colleen. I'm the founding managing partner at Stillmark, which is the first venture capital fund presented just for support of founders building in the Bitcoin space. And so while I say just in the Bitcoin space, listeners probably know how broad that is and we do it all. And we'll talk about that later in the show, but I'll summarize what we do by saying we're looking at everything from Bitcoin mining all the way to infrastructure and applications being built on Lightning. So that's the fund. And by way of background, I come from a decade in venture capital. Prior to that, I worked um, in a lab. I used to study in the life sciences 
and and early on got the bug for supporting entrepreneurs by work I had done within um, my own sort of entrepreneurial family. So it was great to match through Stillmark a passion for entrepreneurs um, and founders that are trying to achieve a vision with the sort of functional knowledge of, of what to do in venture and then the excitement for Bitcoin. So that's a bit about mm -hmm. us. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned on your website that you worked together or you learned from your entrepreneurial grandfather. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What did he do? Yes. So both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs and one of them did large scale sheet metal and plumbing in San Francisco. And so I was able and built that into a big business, blue collar, but big business. And I was able to have a really wide array of experiences there. So I did everything from following up on overdue accounts. So debt collections to, you know, working with drafters to answering phones. The joy was really in seeing a tangible outcome from my grandfather and his team's vision and to see really parts of the city being built that included their work and what good work looked looked like and the sorts of work that people could do when they were passionate about their work. And so while the style, while the focus of work was really different, the sort of energy of it was much the same as it is in tech. And so that was, it was really the space where I developed the value set that I have today. And it's what drew me into venture really is having that experience um, early on with my grandfather. Mm -hmm, great. And That is going to join for the beginning of the call. <laughs> How did it happen that you changed your career? You said you uh, were working in life sciences or something like that. And then you started a venture capital firm. So I used to, so I, I, it, in undergrad, I conducted research on, on inflammatory disease and coping. So I was looking at immune system response really and how occupational stress was related to that. And that research went well. And so it allowed me to have the opportunity to get paid to continue my education by going into a PhD program. And that's what I did. And I continued the same sort of work. So again, looking at really at disease progression and sorts of interventions that could be done to change the course of disease or to support folks quality of life when they had chronic disease. But while I find I found that work very valuable, really challenging, rewarding, it was a lot of it was lab work. Like I said, you are trained in stats. So it was a lot of big spreadsheets. And it was fun. It was thoughtful work. But it started to feel really disconnected from the tangible aspects of my grandfather's work, frankly. And it started to feel that maybe the impact that work was having, the, at least the work that I was doing, was smaller than what was being done by entrepreneurs and so non-academics. And for me, it made more sense, I thought, to work with folks that were going for impacting thousands, millions, billions versus what I had been doing, which was publishing papers that were getting read by. And so I left, I dropped out of that program before I got my PhD thinking that I would be an entrepreneur actually, and just happened to accidentally wind up in venture and working at a couple of the larger funds in LA. And so from there, I started my own funds. So it was that the, once I was in venture, the path was more clear, but getting there, I suppose, wasn't a straight line. But that said, I think that the background I had in academia and research has really helped me in my work 
in venture in Bitcoin. So I rely a lot on, frankly, my training there. And I couldn't imagine being in venture without that, that skill set to pull from. And are your grandfather still alive? Unfortunately not, but his business is. And yeah, it's, so it, so I, I think often about, I'm a collector of lessons. And so I think often about the lessons that my grandfather taught me and, and have continued to collect lessons with folks that I've been educated by in the past. So that includes the folks that I was early in venture with and we pass those on. So as the Stillmark team grows, there's certain things that I've learned about how to respect the work of venture that we pass along. And it's all been very valuable, but my grandfather was definitely the start of it. Mm -hmm. What do you think would he say now to your company? I don't know. So here was a piece of advice that he gave, and this is really, this is something that everyone's heard, but it bears repeating, which is just that if you can find an opportunity to do something that you really love and are passionate about, that's the best way to make money or to produce wealth. And it's also the best way to produce that for other people. So to build a business that other folks depend on. And that's actually exactly how I decided to spend time in Bitcoin. So in 2013, a lot of my work in venture was around cloud networking and early cybersecurity stuff. And And I, and it was great. I loved it. And then I found Bitcoin and I saw it as an opportunity to do, to do good in the world, really, and to do really well at work. So at the work of producing returns for your fund investors, that you could, both of those things could overlap. And this is something that my grandfather had suggested that I pay attention to when I see it. And so I did see that in Bitcoin. I still think that's there. And I think that's a common thread that runs between founders in the space, which is that people are really thinking not just about building big companies, but about the sorts of changes in the world, the positive cultural progress that can be had if Bitcoin continues to advance. And so I see my work in the same way. Mm -hmm. What is the most interesting property or characteristic of Bitcoin in your opinion? I, I think it's the ability for anyone to access the network. And, and so for that to be the case, the network has to be decentralized. And so maybe it's decentralization in its definition is very broad. But for me, what's most interesting, both in terms of doing good work for the world, as well as doing well, is that anyone can access the network. And so what that means is that Bitcoin can offer a financial platform for poor people. And that's what I saw in 2013. So I found Bitcoin from the perspective of someone that was doing cloud infrastructure investing. So I saw Bitcoin as an infrastructure that could create efficiencies in other businesses, the same way, frankly, cloud infrastructure is similar to how cloud infrastructure was doing. So you could introduce a cloud somewhere and there could be business gains for businesses that had nothing to do with cloud. And that's true for Bitcoin. And the aspect Bitcoin that is most compelling to me and made me want to dedicate time to it and to continue to is that is its accessibility. And so we see the sort of consequence of that in El Salvador now with over 3 million people using Bitcoin via the Lightning Network in El Salvador. And those numbers exceed the numbers of people banked in El Salvador across all of El Salvador's banks in aggregate. And so this is Bitcoin showing early evidence to fulfill its promise that it's 
just simply available for all. And by doing that, we democratize access to financial tools. And so we're doing, we're doing good in the world. Absolutely. But don't you think that all those KYC and regulations that are coming now even more that they will do are a stop on this? Like the easy accessibility, you won't have it if everywhere uh, we have the regulations. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a maturation cycle that Bitcoin will go through and that the sorts of conventional rules and regulations of the current um, dominant systems will be applicable at a stage and then at a later stage, maybe not. But Bitcoin is early in its journey. And so it may be quicker for Bitcoin to grow at this part of the journey by adopting, by adopting standards that were set by an earlier paradigm. That's not necessarily the case. And I think it's probably likely not the case as Bitcoin grows and scales. But what founders, the challenges that founders are facing now is how to stay, scale quickest. And so there'll be some technologies where what makes sense is to work outside the system. And then there'll be some applications where it makes sense to work within the system. And from my perspective, what's important is that the founders advancing those companies, answering those questions, have a strong justification for why they're doing one or the other. And that that justification be related to how quickly they can serve a higher number of users, if that makes sense. Does that answer your question, Anita? Yeah, a little bit. So basically it's coming in waves. So uh, on the one hand, you're working with KYC and regulations in some kind of bridge technologies. And on the other hand, we're still working on decentralized, uncensorable and privacy tech. In a world where on and off ramps are very relevant, right? So when people are exchanging Bitcoin for another currency in order to make a transaction, then KYC and AML and standard sort of regulatory paradigms are going to be relevant. But I think that many of your listeners probably assume a future paradigm where on and off ramps to Bitcoin are less relevant because their transactions are happening in Bitcoin. They're getting paid in Bitcoin. They're participating in mining. They're earning rewards. They're gaming all the different ways that you can on-ramp to Bitcoin beyond purchase, and they never need to exit the system. And in that future state, and we're getting, you know, it seems like we're quickly advancing to that. In that future state, then I don't suspect that identification obligations will be as relevant, but mm. it, we're not there yet. And so I take a sort of neutral stance in order to support founders that feel strongly one way or the other that you know, their business is best is best honored by either working within the current system or outside of it. Mm -hmm. Understand. There's one quote on your website that says, my point of view is that companies that adhere to the core principles of Bitcoin have brighter futures and the ability to reach greater scale than companies that are making compromises. Why? And do you mean also altcoins so that you don't invest in companies in altcoins? What do you want to tell us with that? So that quote is from October 2019 when I was speaking at the first Lightning Conference. And so what I mean by that is, okay, so we don't invest, Stillmark does not, Stillmark funds do not invest in altcoins or tokens. We haven't. I suppose we, so we wouldn't invest in an altcoin that was an off Bitcoin token. If there's a product that looks something like Bitcoin's mining note, 
then that could fit inside of our hypo- our investment thesis, depending on the vehicle. So obviously the BMN is not a venture style investment, but nonetheless, it's something that represents, would be consistent with our expectation of assets that gain sustaining intrinsic value. Of course it does. That's very different from what's happening in most altcoin spaces, and we're not investing in those spaces. When we invest in a company, it's because we believe that the value of the company itself will continue to appreciate versus having an expectation that we can quickly trade out our position regardless of the company itself gaining in in value and sustaining value. These are two really different models of how to produce a fund return. In standard venture, you hold equity and that equity is innately tied, of course, to the enterprise value of the company and enterprise value gains over the years as the company continues to introduce products that are well received by the market. And because there's an expectation that continues to be ongoing, that the company will do the same. Whereas in in the altcoin landscape, really the bet is on investors being excited in a moment and the exchange rate rising such that you can exit your position related to excitement in a market versus the company's sustaining sustaining enterprise value. And so on the latter, that's where we don't participate. But frankly, there's so much happening in Bitcoin that I think it's very easy to not be distracted by altcoins. And I don't think that someone can do Bitcoin investing well while playing in the altcoin space at the same time. I, mm. I just think yeah. that there's probably too much going on in Bitcoin for that to really be achievable. Okay, so companies not making compromises. So what I mean by that, so I want to acknowledge that I also said that some founders may feel that working in a KYC system allows them to reach greater scale. That would be... That would be done in order to... A good argument from a founder for something like that would is that... It would be done in a way that didn't break the value that the end user was finding from the product. So it would be, so for instance, if there's strike connects folks bank accounts to the lightning network, basically, if you have a bank account, you've already gone through KYC. And so that would be a different value proposition. You're not asking someone to do something necessarily that's outside of the flow that they've already created for themselves. A more difficult trade-off could be maybe around the proposition of mining is top of mind right now. So maybe around the proposition of, of tagging mined Bitcoin as being green or something like this, or an effort to do anything to infringe on the fungibility of Bitcoin. That might be something that looked more compromising. Does that make sense? I think I lost you a bit with the Bitcoin mining thing now. Maybe you can elaborate on that. So I I suppose I just mean to say that the founders that I think have the biggest markets in front of them are those that are respecting Bitcoin as a truly decentralized network. So obviously decentralization leads to higher scalability. And that's because you've removed intermediaries that can impose risk, tax, can gate who has access. And then there's another thing here that I think gets talked about a little bit less, which is that when people are building companies, 
that they have the intention to positively impact culture in the world, folks, their neighbors, they care about who they work with and who their partnerships are formed with. And so companies that are building according to Bitcoin's core values find seem to find an easier path to partnerships that can really affect the value of the company. And maybe the mining example is not a good one, but there's certain core principles that Bitcoiners have. And I think that most of those are quite reasonable and sound. And that, and frankly, if you understand the tech, the principles and values that, that are part of the culture in Bitcoin really make sense. They're consistent with the tech. And so that's what I mean by companies that are, companies can achieve higher scale and probably quicker as a repercussion of operating in a manner that's consistent with Bitcoin. Yeah, I understand now what you mean. It's all those regulations induce friction and friction is a heavy load in a way for every company if you want to grow fast or wide. Yeah. Right. It can be. Yeah. You were talking about the ethos and value set of Bitcoiners. One of those is also that it's a little bit an underdog currency. Today, the first Bitcoin futures ETF has been launched on the New York Stock Exchange with people in suits clapping. What do you think would Satoshi say to that? I think, you know, what I said at the top, which is that Bitcoin is for everyone. And so I'm excited when an unbanked person in El Salvador is using Bitcoin. And I'm also excited when somebody in a suit is excited about Bitcoin. Both of those things are are good to me. And I think I spent a lot of time in in the converse, in the writings, the record of conversations Satoshi had. And I so I don't know what he would think, but I hope and expect that he would be fine and happy with folks celebrating in suits for, and a lot of those are our people. Yeah. So it's, I'm excited for, I'm excited for the full breadth of it. But the value of uh, not your keys, uh, not your coins, holding coins directly gives you access and also access to the volatility upward and downwards, of course. But isn't there a, a, a little bit of a danger if there are too many ETFs and ETF managers hold the keys for the coins of other people. Mm -hmm. And so that they might have too much power. In okay. Not your keys, not your coins. I I've invested on that thesis. I strongly believe that. And I encourage folks in my own life to not hold funds on Coinbase or have anyone hold funds for them. Now that said, I think that folks that are taking a bullish view or participating in the Bitcoin ecosystem indirectly are still participants in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so I will leave the um, projection about how a Bitcoin ETF impacts Bitcoin from a markets perspective to folks that spend their days in, the, in that space. But from my perspective, once someone has taken a, a bullish view, a long position on Bitcoin, whatever the manner, in, and I understand that there's there will be people that take the other side, but for purposes of this argument, if someone takes a long position in Bitcoin, I still consider that person to be, frankly, part of the community in that their expectation is that Bitcoin will continue to 
be a valuable um, tool, technology asset for many people, and that through that, the value of Bitcoin will. And so if folks do not yet have the appetite to hold directly, I don't think that means that they're not part of the community. That might be, I don't know, maybe that's controversial, but this is what I think. I think that we people have different sorts of paths into a full Bitcoin sort of life. And for some people that may start by holding Bitcoin on Coinbase or by participating in a Bitcoin ETF, and that would all be fine with me. And if it gets folks to pay more attention to what's happening in Bitcoin, then on the technology side and on the um, app development side, then I'm excited for it. What data are you looking at to estimate Bitcoin's health and growth and uh, not the, the asset, the network? Mm -hmm. So we look at, I'm trying to think of what I want to respond to this question. I suppose we look at progress. The most important thing is probably progress to planned roadmap and an advancement, a healthy advancement of discussion that informs a formation of a roadmap. And so I think that as an example, having Taproot activate in November is important I think that the I'm I tend to be quite optimistic when I look at the way development is happening at core and then what that means for higher layer infrastructure built on top of or higher layer protocols built on top of core. And I think that I feel like we are set in terms of being in a really good place for Bitcoin. The, the events of this year and some of the prior year have been very positive, including things that were framed negatively in the media. And so I am, there's no sort of, there's nothing on fire that concerns me. And then at the same time, I see the opposite. So I, I don't know if I want to dig in much more there, but from a venture perspective, what we really look at is, are the things that founders want to build being met both with a technology that can allow it and as well as a market for it? And so an example of that would be a really great example of that is El Salvador wanting to adopt Bitcoin, Lightning um, Network being able to accommodate that, and then app developers and infrastructure developers able to build on top of Lightning Network, mostly on LND, of course, Lightning Labs implementation. And they find that they have the tools, the support to be able to execute an application or infrastructure that then serves a very ready market, which is what we saw in El Salvador. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an ability for founders to meet the an acute market need and then for them to be served by the protocol that they're building on. And that's what I'm seeing now. And I think the evidence of that, some of the evidence of that is in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Great. I think you also have an emphasis on earning Bitcoin. So after the first phase, uh, we could say it was investing or speculating. Then I heard you mention the next phase is or has been mining, but now we are moving into the, the earning phase. Um, and you have several companies, I think, that are building tools for people to earn Bitcoin easily. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? So I don't know that we're switching. I'm really excited by mining. So I don't know that we're, we're going to be paying attention to mining for a long time. But I think that it's important to acknowledge that the way the many people will be newly onboarded to Bitcoin is not going to be with an investor's lens, 
but will be instead because they are earning. Whereas the folks that have come into Bitcoin all the way up and through 2020, probably were mostly coming on because they were purchasing um, to hold the asset with an expectation that would appreciate. And I expect that in 2021 and going forward that we're going to see a lot of folks and maybe even soon a majority of new folks coming on to Bitcoin through earning. So of course that can happen through mining as a form of earning, but we also expect that expect to see that happening through work. I think that will happen. It already is happening through rewards and we'll also see some, some gaming stuff too. Maybe I'm defining that separate from rewards. And so Stillmark is spending a lot of time there. And what that means, what that looks like from a portfolio perspective is that we invested, we led the seed financing of Stackwork, which is Paul Etoy's company. Paul does both Sphinx Chat and Stackwork, and we invested in the company that, that produces both. And Stackwork, of course, is introducing Bitcoin to folks in emerging markets via their work, work that can be done on a smartphone. It's a mechanical Turk style work. So it's like image tagging or or marking video content, stuff like this. And so that's one area that I'm bullish. And especially as emerging markets come online to Bitcoin by government creed, I expect that folks in emerging markets will have more of a desire to have to have ability to earn. Now we're also looking at folks that want to opt in to earning. And so we've invested in infrastructure company that can help folks connect, including companies. So both individuals as well as SMB enterprise connect bank accounts to Bitcoin through the Lightning Network. And that could do things like facilitate payroll in Bitcoin. And then finally, and nearest term by way of new companies in Stillmark's portfolio, we're looking at gaming. And in the gaming space, what's really exciting is that founders are coming into the field to build new games, not as folks that are religiously Bitcoin, but as folks that believe that Bitcoin can drive the game forward. And so they've just recognized a value in Bitcoin that they believe that their community will acknowledge and that that will encourage folks to onboard and stay in the game. And so the sort of talent that's coming in from the gaming space is just really incredible. And I think is only coming into the gaming space from their current jobs, sort of top notch gaming studios. They're coming into the space because they think they can do it better and bigger than the biggest shops in the world because they can do it with Bitcoin. So we're looking at all of these things. And my expectation is that honestly, even as early as the next couple of years, the majority of new folks coming on to Bitcoin will be through one of these mechanisms. I can report from firsthand from my travels to Zimbabwe in early 2020. I was working with Paul Itoy and I presented Stackwork there in Harare and people were, of course, interested and they wanted to start using it. So I'm pretty sure that this is a big platform or will be a, a, a big platform and success. You also talk about the concept of lightning channels as stable coins mm -hmm. or something like that. Did I understand that correctly? Can you tell us a little bit about that? How would that mm -hmm. work? There's a few ways that you can do that. You asked before about what we look at to know that there's a healthy ecosystem and that relates to that prior question. So one of the things that founders and protocol developers have identified is that 
there is what we're doing is not good enough yet. This is what I really love about it's that in other spaces, we see folks excited about maybe things that are a little bit silly and they think it's good enough. They're like ready to go to battle with X, Y, and Z sort of thing that not don't always make sense, or at least they don't make perfect sense. And Bitcoiners take a very different approach. Generally, the culture is that this is not good enough yet. What can we do to advance this? What can we do to make this more private, scalable, more data efficient, et cetera? Okay. We, there's also a culture that we take that sort of perspective on from an end user. And so one of the things that people, both protocol and um, app developers have identified is that the end user, especially in emerging markets, if they're onboarding to Bitcoin, not as an investor, but as someone that intends to use Bitcoin, Bitcoin's volatility can be really difficult to tolerate. And, and I think the reasons for that are probably pretty obvious. So it might make sense for a user who is, is going to have a need to interact with Bitcoin on a weekly, monthly, or say quarterly basis to have a Bitcoin savings account where they're exposed to volatility, but then to also have a Bitcoin sort of checking account where volatility is mitigated or muted. And so one of the way there's several ways to do that, but the way that I've talked about is use of DLCs to define a channel to sort of anchor, um, denominate a channel in USD versus Bitcoin, though the channel, of course, would be collateralized in Bitcoin. And I'm not sure that is the sort of method that this through which this advances, but I am sure that we will see this sort of reality as within the next year. And, and I'm pleased with that because I think it speaks to a very acute need in markets that Bitcoiners have done a lot of work to help onboard populations that really, frankly, can make great use of free instant global transactions but maybe don't want to go through the 10% up and 20% down and 30% up sort of swings. And that's quite reasonable. Mm. And so that's when I, when we look at, is the, is this space healthy? It's those sorts of things, the sort of feedback cycle of what end users in their diversity need from the tech, matching that with what is what is intrinsic in the tech, what can be provided. So not forcing it to do one thing or the other, but just seeing if that sort of use case can be, and then building against it, both at the protocol level, infrastructure, and then apps. And so I see that happening. Sometimes it's behind the scenes stuff, but I see it happening. And I frankly have never felt more excited about the healthy and productive state of the Bitcoin ecosystem, because there's many of those little stories that I just offered about these feedback loops happening on behalf of users. Mm -hmm. Great. Exactly. Thank you for explaining that. Do you also watch founders or developers from emerging countries or from Africa, Latin America, building products or projects that uh, you as a VC are interested in? Yes. So I hope and think we may, our next couple investments are probably from outside of the U.S., so one will be from a developed market and one may be from an emerging market. And so those are, I hope next time we talk, I'll have those two things to share with you. <laughs> but here's something really interesting to think about. 
which is that there's been this question around or like this FUD around no one will want to spend Bitcoin. And that makes sense because I don't want to spend Bitcoin, but (laughs) that assumes that everyone is like us. And that's just simply not the case. And while we may be looking for investments, others are just simply looking for a frictionless way to send money. And so people will, in fact, um, use Bitcoin. But they may start using it not in developed markets like the U.S. or Germany or many other Canada, but instead they may use it first in emerging markets for transacting. And so if we assume that's true, and then we need to be really paying attention to what's happening from founders on the ground there in emerging markets where that user base is going to be seeing Bitcoin in a different way than folks living in in Chicago will be and has a demand to use it in a different way. And so certainly we want to be backing those founders that recognize that first, that find a product that makes sense both within their, their own geography and also can be expanded beyond that. And talent is pretty equally distributed, to be honest. And so if you're really paying attention to what's happening in, in different areas and different geos, you are going to find top tier talent in emerging markets that is better able to build these products than probably if they were not from an emerging market. And we want to back that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the portfolio that you have now. I think CASA is a part of it, Lightning Labs, Sphinx and Stackwork. Mm-hmm. But you also have other companies. I, I saw on your website, Satoshi Energy, mm-hmm. Lastbit and Clover. I don't mm-hmm. know how to say it, Clover. What are those? What, what are yes. those? What are they doing? Okay. You asked about, okay, Stackwork, Sphinx Chat. You asked, so Lastbit is an infrastructure company. So basically what they're doing is they are building the tech that will allow other developers and other businesses to, to introduce Bitcoin to their user base without going through the friction of needing to be smart on how to run a node or launch a wallet. So last bit helps mm-hmm. folks connect their traditional sort of conventional system tech, bank accounts, POS systems, stuff like this to Bitcoin through the Lightning Network, and then offers that as a platform for other developers. So for apps to build upon that what they wish. So basically what I'm saying is it's part of the Bitcoin fintech stack. And so it's not a consumer facing company, but we'll have many consumers that it ends up serving. Then you asked about Clover. So what Clover is, this um, is a company that is not Bitcoin only, but is decentralized apps only. So what they do is they create um, tools and a platform for developers that want to build decentralized apps like Lightning apps, but it could also be apps like a Mastodon or a Jitsi, something like this, that want to either develop those or help their user base discover and launch them in a truly decentralized way. That's what Clover does. And as an example of the implications of that, you could run a Jitsi instance in your browser and not have that sort of data exposure that you otherwise would. And you can do this across devices in a stable way. And so they've really, what they've built is a new future, kind of. So they've proposed, they've proposed the question of what does the world look like if we are not all relying on AWS? 
And um, mm-hmm. so that's quite exciting. And I expect it to be quite relevant for Lightning, and that's our investment. Now, you asked about Satoshi Energy, and I think you probably know this, folks. This is not really announced yet, but that's okay because we're friends. So I And it's on the website, like you said. So we backed Satoshi Energy, and I think the reason for that is probably obvious, which is that the founders there are the smartest guys in the world on Bitcoin as energy-backed um money. And so these guys come from the energy industry and they they know the ropes there, but they also know the pain points and they know the culture. And so what they're doing is fitting Bitcoin into that in a way that can help the energy, um, the energy field benefit from Bitcoin and Bitcoin to reciprocally benefit in that mining becomes more decentralized through Satoshi energy and more people have access to mine through Satoshi energy. So if you are a wind a, a wind plant, for instance, and you have fallow assets or you have found that wind is blowing at night and you do not have demand for the energy you're producing at night, you might want to monetize that, those assets, by putting um, a miner there. And that can be, but how do you do it? That's, there's a lot of friction there, but Satoshi Energy removes all of that. And so what Satoshi Energy does is creates a marketplace around miners and energy projects, and then also provides tooling for that to happen. So the contracts, the sort of market insights, all of that. And so that's exactly the sort of work we wanted. We want to be involved with folks advancing Bitcoin in that way, and then also using Bitcoin to drive the progress and efficiencies of other industries as well. What an exciting space uh, to be in and also time to be in. I think all some of these projects are connected with Blockstream. At least I, I hear that in a way. You're the independent director on the board of directors of Blockstream. Can you explain what what do you do as an independent director? So um, a company board will have generally three different categories of director. And just for sake of entrepreneurs that are in the audience, I'll explain that. On a board, you'll have company directors, and those are the representatives of the company that participate in governance at a board level. Then you'll have preferred directors, and those are your investors that have gained board seats. And then you also may have independent directors, and those are meant to be folks either from the tech industry generally or from or who have great business acumen or perhaps know your field specifically that can also participate in company governance from the board seat. And so that's what I do with Blockstream. And I get to partner with those guys to, to think about what they're building and how to continue to build and scale their products. And of course, it's, it's a great honor. All the companies I work with, I'm really excited to work with them. And the Blockstream team I've known longer than most of the companies in the portfolio. And so you can imagine that it's really fun to work with those guys. So we work on it all. So you you hear, you know, Blockstream is doing a lot. And so, of course, there's overlap with the portfolio. An example of that could be that when they launched Greenlight, for instance, that was announced with partners of Sphinx Chat and LastBit. And of course, those are both still mark portfolio companies. And so the aim is to, when you partner with the founder, my aim is to make their life easier if we can. 
And so that can look like just checking in to see how things are going. It can look like helping with sales. It can look like helping with business development and partnerships inside of the industry, hiring, all of that. But what's really nice about Stillmark, I think, is that our network and portfolio of companies often are able to find there's obvious opportunities for collaboration between folks. And if we can facilitate that, then of course we will. And Blockstream is not in the portfolio, but it's in the network. It's in the close network. And so when there's an opportunity for that to be helpful to a portfolio company, then of course, we're going to take advantage of it. And we do the same between portfolio companies as well. And so the idea is that maybe that if a VC is doing good work, I think that it's helping, it's only helping to quicken the pace of what the founder themselves are doing. And so that's how I think about some of those introductions or, or when I raise an opportunity of a potential collaboration, that's how I think about it is, does this accelerate what the founder is already on a path? You're a great network. Yeah. Alice, thank you very much for that. That was very interesting. I learned a lot and I hope our listeners too. Where can people find you and follow your work? So I am present occasionally on Twitter with just, my handle is just my first and last name. And Stillmark is online at stillmark.com and spelled exactly as it sounds. And we keep the website reasonably up to date. And on that website, there's also email addresses for how to reach out to Stillmark. But I, we're quite easy, I hope, to get a hold of. And so I'm really just, I'm interested to meet Bitcoin founders very generally. And so there's no, yeah, I think that it, I think it's a different sort of person that has a vision for how to build in this space that's still yet to be fully defined. And I have a lot of respect for that work. And so founders building in the space, we're keen to meet them through whatever sort of channel that happens, whether it be at a conference, Twitter, email. It's yeah, it's I'm always happy for it. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much and have a good day. Thank you, Anita. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please subscribe to my show and recommend it to your friends. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show.